You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. It is so good to be with you here today. And as, as we all know, uh, there have been just a, a huge, there's been a huge uptick in, in COVID cases in our area. And um, we just want to pray for our community. And let me just say this, how proud I am of this congregation and how, how you know, we, we really do have so many people who love us and love one another. And it's just been a blessing. And I want to say this. Let's do this. As, as the world goes crazy around us, which is inevitable, let's love one another all the more every chance we get. And when we come to this place, I, I want people to feel the love of Jesus uh, as soon as they, they touch the doorknob. Amen. Because this is what people need. They need to be in the presence of the Lord. And if you have Christ in you, uh, then friends, we're going to be uh, having a good time this morning. I took my jacket off, so you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> I just want you to know that that's the warning shot uh, there, nonverbal, uh, when I take my jacket off. So look out. Today we're talking about this question, asking this question, what is your life? And you'll see that that question is here in the text. And today we pray that God's Word and the Holy Spirit will help us answer that all-important question. So now, if you will, stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word. Let's hear a word from the Lord. Now, I want to tell you, when any passage starts with come now, um, this is a way, a a, a linguistic tool um, that's very equivalent to the pastor taking his jacket off, okay? In other words, watch out. Here we go. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that happens for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you will speak to us in a powerful way. Lord, this gift of life that you have given us, oh, it is so precious. And this last year, as a pandemic has raged around us, we realize how precious it is. Lord, help each one of us to make the most of this life and to make the most of it in your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we all do life a little different. Everybody does life a little different. Now, one way that we do life a little different is some people are planners and other people kind of like to fly by the seat of their pants. Now, those who are not planners, I want you to know right now, I have a file folder in my office labeled abnormal psychology and that's where I put you if you're a (laughs) non-planner. But that's exactly what a planner would do. He would have a file folder for such a thing. Now, that just shows that we all kind of work a little different. But just out of curiosity, since I think half the church is on vacation today, um, have any of you have any of you ever just said, you know what, I'm going to go on a vacation and we're just going to pick north, south, east, west, and we're just going to go. No reservations, no real plans. Have any of you ever done that? How many... 
Oh my goodness. What is wrong with you people? I don't know whether to be, you know, like super impressed or to shun you. Like you are shunned. How can you do this? I mean, it just shows how different we are. Some people plan, some people don't. And some people would say, well, if you plan too much, you know, there's no room for spontaneity. There's, there's no room for, you know, something fun to happen. And I would say, yeah, and there's also plenty of room for chaos. Come on. But James's key question is, what is your life? And as we will see, it sounds like an easy question, but it is so difficult. And what this question does is it truly opens up a door to our hearts. And you see today what God is trying to do in our lives is, is to take our hearts, the essence of who we are, and conform us to his will. The biggest problems we have in life is when our hearts go after things other than Jesus. And what we're going to find today is it is very easy for our hearts to be uh, misled. We can have joy in life. We can have excitement in life. We can have good things in life. And those things can keep us from seeing Jesus and experiencing Jesus, worshiping him and witnessing for him. And that's not okay. And I believe that one of the reasons why this, this question is so powerful, what is your life? One of the reasons it's such a deep question is because that word life is a complicated concept. Now, and then we know that when we talk about life, we, we know that life can just mean biological life, either living or dead. That's one way to look at it. Obviously, when we get into the scriptures, we see that there's another kind of life where life is discussed more in spiritual terms. Uh, so more about the emotional and spiritual life, you know, kind of the joy element. Well, what's interesting here, when James asks the question, what is your life? He doesn't use the word in Greek that would just be the biological life. He's asking the question in this way. He's saying, what is your life? And he uses the same word that Jesus used in John 10, 10, when he said, I want you to have life and have it more abundantly. What we need to realize here is, is that James isn't just asking us, you know, do you have a good job? Do you have, have you gone to school? Or do you have a family? Do you have the 2.3 kids? You know, not life like that. But life in the sense of when you get up in the morning, do you have purpose? Do you know that no matter what comes to you in this world, you have the hope of Jesus? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? That's the kind of life we're asking you if you have. James wants you to know that kind of life. And God's word wants us to do more than just exist. Everyone who is alive has life. But not everyone alive is really living. And I want to challenge you this morning. As we hear James ask, what is your life? We want you to have Christ-filled, joy-filled, difference-making sorts of lives. We want you to have a life that makes an impact in Springfield. A life that makes an impact all around the world. Not for your own namesake, but for the name of Jesus Christ. We want to make a difference in the world. We want people to know that there is life in Jesus. And church, to get to that place, we need to be Holy Spirit filled. We need to have the Spirit's life in us so that we can really live. And that's what I would like you to consider today. It's not just what is your life, but let's think of it this way. What could life be? What could be different? 
What could be better? I just believe regardless of where you're at in your journey, if you can get a hold of more of Jesus, what your life could be and become is greater than anything you've known so far. Church, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what your age is. If you have Jesus in your heart, there is always this prospect of something better tomorrow. And too many of us, we have got our mindset on the past, victories from old, uh, from times of old. And what we do is sometimes get so caught up in those days that we don't make sure we have these days coming filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, it is time for us to be a church that is anticipating the best of the best and better times. And I know that's so hard to do when everything in the world seems so chaotic. But in my experience, at least in my understanding of history, what I see is when the world seems to be at its most chaotic, that seems to be when the Holy Spirit is moving the most. People's eyes are starting to open up to the need for something different than just a good life in this world. People are beginning to realize they need life in Jesus and you have the answer. Amen. So let's talk about what is your physical life. I've already told you here, verse 13, come now is a, an attention getting kind of phrase. It could be translated if we wanted to really be free and loose with the translation, wake up people. That's always a good thing to say before I start preaching. Wake up. That would be nice if you were cognizant. Wake up. James says, he wants you to realize that one of the problems is, is that there are people who say something like today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, some people will look at that and say, okay, uh, if I want to be happy, then I can't be worried about business or making money. And that's not what he's saying here. There isn't anything inherently wrong with having a business and making a profit. If you're not making a profit in your business, you won't have a business very long. This is not an anti-make-money kind of passage, but what it is, it's a passage that reminds us that it is easy to get wrapped up in business, in life, in doing things to such an extent that we are not focusing on Jesus anymore. The problem is that the discussion leaves God out of the equation altogether. Look again at verse 13. There's nothing said there in that statement that has anything to do with God. It has a focus that is only on the horizontal, no vertical idea at all. Friends, I know it may seem like that's not a normal thing, but I fear that even in the church, we can go long seasons, long periods of time where we are busy doing life and dying spiritually. We are maybe excelling in life, but we have minds set on earthly things, as Paul puts it in Philippians 3.19. 2 Peter 2.14 says, some people have their hearts trained in greed. Now notice this, both Paul and Peter are telling us that it is easy for the saints of God to get their eyes off the prize. To be thinking about life and being successful as opposed to being spiritually filled. It is not enough to come in this world and make a lot of money and die. God wants your life to make more of a difference than that. Some people get stuck in verse 13. They only see that kind of life. They work themselves to death and they don't live. 
That's another problem perhaps, but ultimately what I want us to think about today is where is God factoring in the equation for you? Uh, This is near and dear to my heart because I'm having this conversation with my daughter and and my son as they're thinking about their future. It's not enough to just have a good game plan for life. You need to always be saying, where's the Lord at work in my life? If you want to be a medical doctor, that's fine, young person, but, but are you looking for ways to use that to further the kingdom? If you want to be a lawyer, You know, how can that help you further the kingdom? Don't just have a plan that is here on earth, but have a plan for everything you do pointing beyond. And in verse 13, that's not happening. It's not happening. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. All your plans mean nothing if God is not involved. Do we pray before or after we make our plans? That's the question I keep asking myself. I told you I was a planner. Sometimes I plan God right out of it. You ever been guilty of that? You plan and you make plans and then you go, oh, I gotta pray about this and bless it. It's kind of like when you sit down at the table and you've already had five bites and then you remember to pray for your meal. You know, bless what's been digested. We do the same thing with, with our, our major decisions in life. We, we talk about a school we're going to go to, and then we hope that God blesses it. We take a job, and then we say, oh, Lord, please may this be the place I'm supposed to work. See what I'm saying? We make all these choices and make all these decisions, and then we go, oh, P.S., Lord, bless it. That's what's going on in verse 13. It's, plans are a good thing, but this world is unpredictable. One old rabbi was telling his students one day, he said, you only need to repent the day before, you're, before you die. They were like, wow, okay, so that means I only have to repent one time? No, he said, you, you got to repent every day because you don't know when you're going to die. <laughs> you see, you can plan all you want, but there are some things you can't plan for. Notice here what the text says. Verse uh, 15, or actually verse 14, the second part, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This morning when I drove in, I drove in in a mist. Uh, It was very foggy this morning when I drove in, and and I'm assuming I haven't been out there for a while, but that that mist vanishes after the sun comes up. That's how our lives are described. James is borrowing from Isaiah 40. In verses 6 and 7, he says, Our lives are like the grass that withers and fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Job 7, 7 says, Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. Anytime you want to be encouraged and lifted up, read Job, of course. (laughs) Perhaps the clearest echo in this text is from Luke 12, 15 through 20, the parable of the rich fool. And it begins with Jesus's warning. Notice this, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life, notice that word life, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We would be foolish to think that having more stuff means more blessing. What if more stuff is just more opportunity to do the work of the kingdom of God? That's what I think James is trying to help us see. One person put it this way, Thomas Manton, he says, business may take you from place to place, but James is simply telling us to take God along with us wherever we go. Do business, yes, but make sure God is right there with you. It is a big mistake to live otherwise because life is a short trip. We need to pack light and we need to devote ourselves to spiritual 
projects. So ultimately what James is saying is don't love this world too much. Don't be too caught up in what's going on all around you, but look above you. Ask God. I think a great way to think about this is, is eye level. Adjust your spiritual eye level. Stop looking just out at what's around you here, but start looking up. Asking God to help you see the spiritual things that surround you. So let's talk about that question. What is your spiritual life? Language matters, brothers and sisters, and there are simple things that we can hear that can be huge for us. Now, James's suggestion, or shall we say correction, is there in verse 14. Um, he goes on, actually 15, he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now I have to tell you, that's like theology 101 right there. You know, instead of saying, I'm going to make my plans, he says, okay, here's, it's profound. Ask God what he wants. Now that's not complicated. That's simple. So why does God's word tell us this? Well, I am convinced that God's word has to tell it to us simply because we're simply not doing the simple things. Once again, our lives are too often caught up in busy, frenetic activity that has very little to do with God. Another thing I want you to see about this is there's humility here. Before we do an act, we ask what God's will is. That is humbling your heart before God and saying, Lord, I think I know what you're doing in my life, but I don't want to assume that I have it all figured out. God, help me. Is there anything wrong with saying, God, help me? No, no, but why don't we do it enough? We've already been told in this chapter that God gives grace to the humble. Church, we need that grace. God's will seems mysterious and beyond us, but listen to me, I, I believe the word and prayer connect us with the life that is beyond this life. We, we need to ask God to show us, and many times he does in his word. How many times, I hope for many of you as, as followers of Christ, there have been times in your life where you were just in the word and reading the word, and you had been drifting for a little bit, and a word from God comes through the scriptures and redirects your life. It is a wonderful experience when the word of God connects those in the world today, they, 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 they seem to assume that everything in this world is kind of a closed system, that everything just kind of happens the way it happens and there's no outside interference. But I want to tell you, I believe that there is outside interference and it's called the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say, God, bring some outside interference to Ridgecrest. I mean, stir up the, the pot, our plans, whatever it takes. Heavenly Father, send your spirit to us. We need to be shook up. If our plans are headed in the wrong direction, then God show us that. We want things to be changed and they can only change when we humble ourselves and surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's what God is asking this church to do, is to surrender, to put our ideas and our passions on the back burner. This is certainly not taking place in most hearts in America today. Everybody has strong opinions about things that don't matter all that much. 
But here today, let me just say this. We have one strong opinion, and it is this, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And we believe that that is worth our everything, that we can pour out our best so that we can know the Lord's will. I'm here to tell you, my heart is beating for the will of God, for my life, for your life, for our life. God has a great plan for us, but we're going to have to to surrender to Christ. We have to put Jesus center frame, and pride is no small thing. Verse 16 reminds us, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Oh, friends, pride is will kill your spiritual life. Humble your heart. Humble your life so that you can rest in Jesus. And this really does bring us to our last point. We need to find this synthesis. What does it mean to live physically and yet have spiritual life? As long as you are alive physically, Christian, God expects you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think we've gotten to a point in Christianity where we think that being filled with the Holy Spirit is only for the pastor or the deacons or the elders. Let me say this. If you are saved, if you have Christ in you, then I believe that God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Revival doesn't happen when the man in the pulpit is on fire. It happens when the people in the pews are on fire. When they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are witnessing. Listen, I could go out every day and invite a hundred strangers to church and probably one or two would show up. But if you would invite your friends and family, if you will passionately pour out being filled with the Spirit, pouring out the Spirit, you would be amazed. So many people are waiting for you. To just be that witness. I have to build relationships. I, I, many times since I've only been here two or three years, I don't have years and years of experience of relationships that you do. There are people out there today, as Rich said earlier, as he prayed earlier, that are truly afraid. And you could say, I'm not afraid. I have Christ. Well, here's the deal. Those people who are afraid, many of them do not have Christ. So instead of worrying about whether they're wearing a mask or not or judging somebody in some way or not, just know this. Be a faithful witness for Jesus. We want to be a faithful witness for Jesus. No matter where we are, we need to be spirit-filled. So what is the right thing for your life? Notice this, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, For him, it is sin. How do I know that I need to be in the altar every week? Well, because I know the right things to do. As many times I don't do it. And I think about Paul in Romans 7. I've got good company because Paul says, I know what I should do. I just don't do it. And things I shouldn't do, that's what I do. And that is, it seems, the battle we fight every day. But as God puts people on your heart... When he tells you to do a kind thing, to be a witness, either through action, word, or deed, listen, do it. If it's the right thing, if it's a God thing, don't put it off. Do it now. The world is heading fast down the highway towards destruction, and the people of God need to be filled with the Spirit of God, and we need to encourage those who are perishing. No excuses. 
If the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. So simple, so obvious. So why aren't we doing it? We can't do the God thing apart from the right thing. So what are some of those right things? Let me just give you three. A modern preacher, scholar, Dan Doriani, he says, we need to dedicate all we do to God. So let's start there. Make sure that your actions every day honor God and are dedicated to God. You need to confess your need for God's favor. You, you have to go to God and say, Lord, I know that my witness will be weak apart from your strength. In other words, we're not going out as super Christians. We're going out as super broken people with the right answers that God has revealed to us. We didn't figure it out as much as God poured it out on us. And we can be a faithful witness. The third thing, we need to admit that our achievements are a gift from God and a sign of his favor. Oh, friends, we need God's favor and we need to admit that it's all of God. Let me close with just a, a thought, a personal thought. You know, we spend the week, or I do, preparing for this moment in the pulpit. A few days ago, though, <clears throat> I was in a meeting with Pastor Wayne and another staff member, and I was feeling a little more tired than usual. I, I felt drained physically, mentally, and spiritually. I, I have to tell you, it's just, it's been a long year for all of us. Uh, leading during a time like this, uh, you know, has taken something out of all of us in leadership that I don't think we were ready for. And so it, it was just kind of interesting. We were sitting there talking about that. And I love Pastor Wayne. He's, he's such a good friend. And, and he looks at me and he says, you know, um, this is spiritual warfare. And he says, Pastor Jeremy, he says, when, when do you think you really started to feel that, that, that fatigue and that, that being tired? And I said, well, it was later in the spring, about the time I was in Ukraine. And he kind of looked at me and smiled and he said, you know, you and Jenny made some important decisions there. You committed your heart to the Lord in some new ways. And I'm going to tell you, the devil doesn't like what you're committed to and he's after you. Now, I want to tell you something. That's one of those things where the, the pastor looks at a fellow pastor and friend and I'm sitting here going, duh, Jeremy. <laughs> It's a Greek word, of course, duh. <laughs> duh. You've been preaching this forever. You, you, you know the word. You understand powers and, and, and principalities. You know this, but it, it's so obvious, but I was not taking account of the spiritual warfare. And I'm going to tell you, my eyes have been focused in the last few months on all the problems. Anything that was negative, that was highlighted. Anything that was positive, I was pushing it aside. All the things in my life that were good were good, but I was moving on to find something to complain about. I'm sure I'm the only one that ever does that. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the last couple of days, the Lord's just been saying, look at me. Look at me. Look to the cross, Jeremy, and remember that your sins are nailed there. Look to the empty tomb, Jeremy, and remember that I'm not there. I rose again in power and you have that power now. Every time I've been, been tempted to be down, the Lord keeps reminding me, Jeremy, I have you in my hand. How do we fight back? How do we win spiritual warfare? Listen, it's not reading another book. It's not figuring out a technique. It's surrender to Jesus. 
And if you've been defeated this morning and of late, know this, it's time to surrender to Jesus. You are a Christ follower, but are you surrendering every day to him? Man, it's so silly. Every once in a while, my watch tells me to breathe. And I'm like, how does Apple know I need to breathe? But then I get to thinking about it and I realize I'm a little stressed out. I'm probably not breathing normally. And this Gidget Gizmo on my arm tells me things I should know. I feel like sometimes that's what preaching is. We need to just go, wow, how could I be so blind? We need to hear these needful things. So those three questions, let me rephrase them just a little bit. Those three things, statements, let me make them questions. Are you dedicating your every action in life to God? Have you been confessing your need for God's favor? Or here's where we may need to be in the altar. Have you taken credit for the good things in your life instead of giving honor to God? What is your life? Is it yours? Or is it in Christ? And the only way that we can really make a difference in this world is if we are in Christ. You, might be, you may be here this morning and be the most successful person in the room. You may have everything this life offers you. But if you don't have Jesus, listen, it all goes away. The grave is coming for us all. But Jesus came and conquered the grave. And if you don't know that, you need to know that. And then Christian, listen to me. Whatever God has given you, will you ask him to redirect it? It's not about what business goes on on Monday. Don't be thinking about what's at the office tomorrow. Be asking this question, Lord, what are you calling me to do right now in this moment? Every minute, Lord, have my focus on you. What is your life? It's nothing if you don't have Christ. So give him your life. And you know what he'll do? He'll give it back with abundance. And how many of us today are living in that abundance? If we're not, well, it's time to change. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.